Welcome back to Practical Parenting. I'm Christina Wales from the GBMC Marketing Department and a mom of two young girls. And with me is Dr. Terry Nguyen, Chair of Pediatrics at GBMC and also a mom of two children. So today we're talking about adolescent mental health. Very, very big issue, especially post-pandemic. We have a lot of very startling statistics um, to discuss. Um, And so if this is something, you know, I think it's important for us to sort of say off the jump if this is something that, you know, might be triggering or uncomfortable for you, just be prepared. We're going to dive into some topics today that might be tough to hear, um, but very, very important over the course of our parenting. So um, I think just to sort of set the stage here, I want to say that I feel like mental health with kids is especially tough for parents because I know I personally, it's like one of your biggest fears. Like here you raise these kids from the time they're little. And, you know, I feel like from the very beginning, I always knew you you can't control kids. They, they have their own personality. They're their own. They have their own thoughts, their own feelings. You know, you're just sort of like along for the ride and guiding them. And so that sort of separation between what you can control and what your child feels, it's sort of can be scary at times to sort of like let them navigate that on their own. And so when they get to this adolescent stage and you, you don't really know what's going on in their head, you know, all these things they're thinking and feeling, if they don't want to talk to you about it, you know, you're desperate to support them, but you sort of need to let them, you know, go through their own learning. And so how do you balance that? Um, it's it's just a, a wide-ranging, tough topic. So um, I guess just sort of, again, set the stage, you know, Recently, um, during the COVID-19 pandemic, suicide became the leading cause of death among children 10 to 14, just staggering. Um, Nearly three in five teenage girls felt persistent sadness in 2021, double the rate of boys. Um, One in three girls seriously considered attempting suicide, um, as the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said. Um, And a Pew Research Center report said mental health was the greatest concern among parents, I think, for obvious reasons. Um, And then lastly, the Journal of the American Medical Association, when looking at mental health-related ER visits from 2011 to 2020 for kids aged 6 to 24, the sharpest increase was for suicide-related visits, rose fivefold, which is just so heartbreaking and and staggering. And mental health-related emergency room visits among adolescents 5 to 11 and 12 to 17 also jumped up. Um, by a quarter and a third, respectively. So um, this is definitely an issue that parents need to be aware of and how we can sort of help our adolescents navigate that. So um, I guess, you know, COVID being sort of an obvious um, trigger point, but what's sort of behind the surge of adolescent anxiety and mental health issues generally? I think it's it's multifold, Mm -hmm. right? Nothing is ever just one cause, but COVID didn't help. And even before COVID, mental health was a big focus for children and young adults. And as you know, our Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, has called it a, it's a crisis. Mm-hmm. Mental health amongst our adolescents and our children. Um, so the world that we live in, everything is, there's constant um, stimulation and constant comparison Social media is playing a big part, right, in angst and anxiety for our young adults. And there are lots of studies to um, that bring this about and um, validate this. Um, what we see, and it's it's really, it's a big factor. So uh, social media, you're constantly comparing yourself, your imperfect life, 
to somebody's social media perfect life. It's not that their life is perfect, but they're only posting on um, Instagram or TikTok their version of the life that they think would be perfect to show everybody. So if during adolescence, your idea is to learn how to fit in with your peers, and if you're, you feel that you aren't fitting in with that version of the, you know, of what people are posting online and on social media, there's a deficiency there already, right? And if you haven't really developed and found your own skin, it's like, oh my gosh, I have more lack. I have more things that I'm, you know, not measuring up to. Right. So that's the social part. And then the academic part, oh my gosh, you know, I think children are bred to like prepare for college, you know, a lot. Not everyone, but, you know, I have middle schoolers who, um, patients who are worried about their grades in middle school. Mm. And I keep saying, I'm like, no one's looking at your grades in middle school. You should do well. You should try to learn for the sake of learning. But if you happen to get a B or a C now and then, it's not the end of the world. But, you know, um, many of the young children, many children and um, adolescents now, it's they're always performing. You never get a break. Mm. So that's, okay, there's social, there's academics, and then there's sports, right, or your, your hobby. Sports and hobbies were supposed to be fun, and they're still supposed to be fun. Mm-hmm. But they've gotten so competitive, and kids are playing club, um, you know, higher level um, competition, club soccer, club lacrosse in elementary school. Mm -hmm. I think we didn't specialize in a sport when I was growing up way back in the 80s um, until you were like in high school. Now kids are specializing, and I'm putting it in quotes, in uh, elementary school. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And... um, by high school, they're being recruited for some high schools to play specific sports. And the decisions for college recruitment offers there comes as early as the middle of high school. There's just pressure everywhere. Mm-hmm. And what's worse is that it's coming at a time when adolescents are trying to discover who they are. They're already uncomfortable in, in their skin, and that's what that's part of this development, right? Mm-hmm. And they are feeling things even more strongly emotionally. And then you add on all this other, you know, all these other ways of comparing to others and how you might not measure up to someone else's ideal of perfection. Why wouldn't you have angst? Right. I mean, we all have angst, right? But a little bit of anxiety is not a bad thing, and we need to kind of parse it out. Is it just the normal angst and anxiety of growing up mm-hmm. and experiencing things that we don't know, things that make us uncomfortable? Or is it um, a real problem that's affecting and holding you back from growing and enjoying life, right? So um, parents also have to help um, our young adults figure that out. So I'm thinking I have a lot of follow-up questions, actually. But um, the part about grades was is particularly surprising to me. I feel like anecdotally, you know, at least my generation of parents put so much pressure on us to have good grades that I feel like what I've heard at least from friends is that they don't put that type of pressure on their kids. As a result, are you seeing in your practice that it's coming from parents? No. Okay. It's coming from the kids. Interesting. Yeah. So some of it comes from the kids. I don't like to generalize in anything. Right, so right. some of it comes from the parents. 
But a lot of the driven kids, it's from themselves, yeah. right? But I wonder how much of that is absorbed from what their parents, like their parents are not pushing them or demanding things. But, you know, it's kind of hard when both of your parents are successful professionals, mm. right, mm-hmm. for you to say, well, I'm just going to do whatever or nothing, or to even face high school and go, I don't know what I'm going to study in college. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, most of us shouldn't know what we're going to do for a lifetime in high school, but the bar has moved. And so I think some of that is um, th- the parents aren't saying it, aren't expecting it, but because of uh, the parental, uh, the parents' high achievement, the children, see, you're measuring up again, right? The modeling. They're yeah. modeling. And they can see their parents' behavior. Mm-hmm. They're rather competitive, probably, <laughs> in their work achievement and in their achievement in every area and aspect of their lives. So it's really important what we do and how we model life and living to our children from when they're young to adolescence and young adulthood when they leave our homes. Okay, so we have social media, we have the grades pressure, we have the sports pressure, all the pressures. What are signs that parents can look for in their adolescence to know, hey, something's up? Change in behavior. So you can have a change in behavior, like you, your child might be more stressed out because it's tryouts for certain sports during a season, or it's, you know, exam time at the end of the year, like a lot of our youngsters are doing right now. Okay, so that lasts for maybe a week, maybe two weeks tops. But if it becomes pervasive and it's going on for weeks, you'll see it. They may not say anything to you, but you notice like you've seen your child once or twice this whole week outside of their room. Um, Their behaviors have changed. Their eating habits have changed. Their um, socializing with their friends or even interacting with their family has changed. Or their grades just plummet. Hmm. Um, There's something going on. So the same keen powers of observation that you've always had as a parent, you'll see it. It's, It's really just taking it in and the observation. And I have to say, I think especially moms, okay? I'm not going to generalize that dads don't have it. They have that power too. But often the moms, they're the first ones to clue in that there is something off. And it's that change in behavior. Mm -hmm. Whether it's socializing, eating, activity, engagement, um, or irritability. Like, okay, teenagers are irritable, right? But this is like irritability at everything, Mm. right? So... Boys, when they are um, depressed or have some mental health issues, they act out on others a lot because they externalize. Mm -hmm. They get into fits and they're screaming and yelling and whatever, but it's externalization. Now, um, girls and um, young adult women, they tend to internalize. They turn inward and they shut themselves out from the world maybe. Um, They, you know, decrease their social interaction. So, you know, that those are the things that you would want to look for. Okay. And, you know, don't approach it head on with your your teenager or your adolescent. You know, you might just say, hey, at an appropriate time, you know, I'm seeing that you're spending more time in your room. Anything up? Want to talk? And if they say no, respect it. Okay, and go away. (laughs) I know, really hard. Mm -hmm. I always say um, adolescence and teenagehood is 
the second toddlerhood. <laughs> okay. Great. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you have skills now. True, this is, true. This is what I want to reassure parents is that you have skills. You've done this once before. Yeah. And now you're getting to fine-tune those skills again, mm-hmm. right? They had fewer words for their emotions and their thoughts when they were toddlers. Now they have more. When they were, you know, younger toddlers and preschoolers, you could fix a lot of their problems. But now that they're teenagers and adolescents, you can't fix all their problems because it's not in your power or control or theirs for that matter. So how can you support them Mm -hmm. by being there? Sometimes it just means physically being in the same room as your young adult as they do homework. Sometimes, you know, you're just showing up to things that they're participating in. And or that car, oh, that car ride, volunteer. Just when they were younger, you shipped them around in elementary school and you heard all kinds of things. <laughs> well, as teenagers, until they get their driver's license, make yourself available as a driver. Mm-hmm. As a one on one with your young adult, you'll learn so much in that 20 minute car ride to or from an event. Or even if you're shipping other people's children around with yours, they're chatting in the yeah, back. Yeah, they're chatting in the back. And that's going to tell you a million things, right? So take the opportunities as they arise. But my favorite thing is you are now Alfred the butler to uh, to Batman's Bruce Wayne. And so the children will never understand this, but hopefully the mothers or fathers who are listening do. Remember Alfred? He was always ready for Bruce Wayne. He would come out from behind this curtain and had this serving tray of everything that Bruce would need. I was always amazed. Well, imagine that's your job as the parent of a young adult. That makes sense. Have the things ready, and when they are ready to partake, they will. Otherwise, you stand back there in the background with the tray ready, okay? Um, and we're, we're having changing roles here, right? We were their managers when they were younger, and they were in uh, preschool, elementary school, maybe even at the beginning of middle school. But once they've finished middle school and they're in high school and college, you are not their manager anymore. You're actually their coach or their assistant, right, their cheerleader. You're cheering and you're supporting, but the agenda is theirs, okay? And we can impart advice upon advice upon advice. It's not heard. It's blocked out. What's most, you know, what's the best way of learning for young adults? Let them chart their own course. They have to make mistakes to learn from them. You can tell your adolescent until you're blue in the face, more than five drinks a night will probably get you really sick. Until they experience it, unfortunately, for some of the um, adolescents and young adults out there, till they actually experience it themselves, it was, you know, oh, sure, my parents said that, right? Just like they learned how to walk by falling and getting up and falling and getting up. Well, guess what? How you get to adulthood is making mistakes and recovering from it, Mm -hmm. learning from it, not making the same mistake time after time. I mean, if that's happening, you might want to engage and say, hey, there's a pattern here. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Okay, but always help them come to their own aha moment. Don't be their aha moment Mm because you can't be. And you can't solve some of their problems. 
So some of the best things that you can do is really be available, listen, say nothing. I'm well, not also, good at if it. you solve them up, if you solve the problems now, then when they get out in the world, they don't know how to do it on their own. They right. don't have. They're trying to access your voice inside their head rather than their own right. intuition. Right. So it might be tough to shut your mouth. I know it would be for me. Ah, <laughs> uh, here's a big thing. With young adults, they've moved their bedtime. You know, their body, um, their circadian rhythm is really moved, and it's unfair that they have to get up at six in the morning to go to school in high school. They become awake late in the evening, just as we as parents are like petered out. It's 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and your young adult comes to you and has to tell you something and wants to pour their heart out over whatever. And you're like, I'm going to bed. Guess what? (laughs) Pipe up. What? What would you like to tell me, dear? (laughs) Because that might be that opportunity. So remember, you have to be ready for the opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's not ideal for you. Alfred didn't care about a bedtime. Exactly. (laughs) So jump on it. Mm -hmm. Say, yeah. Because if you keep saying, this is a bad time, I'm too tired, Mm. what's their thought next time they have something they want to share with you late at night? They're just not going to share anymore, right? Yeah. So this is really, they're charting their course. You, again, as a parent, get to adjust to your child or your young adult, not the other way around. They don't adjust to us, okay? It's... Our parents adjusted to us, maybe not as much as we adjust to our children now, but we didn't adjust to our parents, right? Mm-hmm. So remember, that's this is how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then model, you know. If you, like, lose your mind because they decided at 11 o'clock that they wanted you to help them on some friend drama and you lose your mind, apologize the next mm-hmm. day. Hey, I'm really sorry. I know that was really important to you. You know, I was just so tired. So, again, you're modeling, you know. Mm-hmm. So if they lose their minds, they, okay, they'll still be loved, but they, you know, also have to take ownership of that action. Yeah. So with the, I've heard the car is a good place to, you know, because I know even with my five-year-old, she does not like to be directly engaged when there's something uncomfortable that she wants to talk about. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't want you to look at her and, you know, she wants to have just, you know, some distance, I guess, right. between you and, and what we're discussing. So I've heard the car is good because you're not facing each other. Yep. I've also heard, you know, like writing in a journal, leaving it for them to respond in, mm-hmm. you know, at another page maybe. So it gives some of that distance. Are there any other tools like that that you recommend to? Texting. Texting, okay. I get a lot out of my young adults. Mm. I have a 16 and a 19-year-old. And I've had very poignant conversations with my 19-year-old on text. Emojis or not emojis? Or? Yeah, with emojis <laughs> and stuff. Um, he's a guy, right? Yeah. And so he doesn't like to talk a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm like, why – he? this is his favorite word. Why you wh- – what's this inquisition, Mom? <laughs> I'm like, it's not an inquisition. If you just would tell me about what you're doing, then I won't ask you as much. That really didn't help. Yeah. So, um, you know, sometimes texting. I know you wouldn't think of it like that. But again, we have to remold ourselves to how they communicate. What young adults really, so anxiety is about feeling lack of control Mm -hmm. and lack of ability to predict what's coming. So how you can empower them is giving them the choice whenever it's possible. Remember in toddlerhood, choice A, choice B. Um, Now you're offering them the choice also. So you know, they come at you and they're like, they dump something like big emotional thing. 
or they're about to, right? And you can say, hey, do you want me, is this a listening conversation or is this an advice kind of conversation? Works for marriages too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and so they might say, I just need you to listen. Mm -hmm. And you know what they just did? They dumped their emotional baggage out. You might have taken some of it up, but they feel better. Mm -hmm. And listen, you didn't have to do anything to solve that situation. Mm -hmm. But they are feeling lighter because of it. And heard, which yeah, I think is big heard. for that yeah. group. And you don't need to, like, point out the life lesson in this. Right. <laughs> oh, please. Right? When has that ever helped you when your parents did that? Yeah. Don't ruin what? it. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't help. Okay. Acknowledge that adolescence is a time where you have big emotions again. You had big emotions as toddlers, and now you have even bigger emotions, right? Add some hormone, hormonal changes to that and physical changes. Sometimes there are some periods in adolescence where the adolescents are kind of like discombobulated. They have this huge growth spurt, and they're tripping over themselves because they actually don't even know how to maneuver in this big body, right? And the hallmark of adolescence is big emotions. So they feel dysregulated often. It's, you know, you're not just happy, you're really, really happy. And you're not just sad, you're in the pits, you think you're going to die, right? So help, we have to help them learn ways to know that the waves are still going to always come, but they don't have to be big monsoon waves. They can be milder waves that you can just steer gently to shore. So what's, what's my favorite thing? Sleep. If you don't get enough sleep, right? Everything goes wrong. Your um, your emotional regulation is off. Your tolerance for stupidity, anything, right, or changes, unpredictable things that happen, you have, like, no reserve. So it is one of the biggest things that I talk to. And I, I tell my adolescents and young adults, I'm like, if there's anything that you want to really make a priority for yourself— um, it's sleep, hmm. okay? And I say, listen, I'm not going to be prescriptive and say, you need this number of hours of sleep. No. Um, what time do you go to bed on the weekends and what time do you wake up on the weekends? Do that math, and if it comes out 10 or 11 hours, you're like, okay, that's what your body would really like. What do you do on the weekdays when you have school? And let's say they are getting six or seven. And I go, what's the deficit there? It may be a two or three hour deficit. That's a big deal. You may not be able to get 10 to 11 hours of sleep. You won't, right, um, on weeknights. But the closer you get to that number, mm -hmm. the better you will feel. And do your own experiment, you know. So, again, I'm bringing it up. They're doing the math about, you know, when they go to bed and when they wake up on the weekends and what they do on the weekdays. And I say, so, which is the day where you wake up and feel a little bit more energized? Probably the weekend. So how are you going to get there? Mm -hmm. And I, 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 mean, I wait for them to say, well, I guess I have to go to bed earlier. <laughs> and I say, yeah, can you say it again? Mm -hmm. Right? Don't, don't, yeah. So, yes, um, the, uh, when you're younger, you need anywhere, meaning um, uh, elementary school to middle school, the range is anywhere between 9 to 11 hours, okay? So there are some children who will do fine at 9 hours. Some really need the 11 hours, mm -hmm. okay? But do the math with them. And then once you're in high school, believe it or not, their sleep range is anywhere between 8 to 10 hours like adults. Hmm. 
And how many young adults do you know that get eight hours of sleep on a weeknight? Oh, single digits. Mm-hmm. I, you know, single digit percentages is what I see. So helping them come to ownership of it also, right? One of my favorite things to say is, hey, until you think it's important for you and this is what you want to do for yourself, there's nothing that your parents or I or any coach um, can say to you that's going to get you motivated to do it. But when you turn it at like, I want to feel better. I want to be less cranky. I want to feel I want to feel more energized when I'm on the sports field. Okay, and the way to do that is my sleep. Why? Sleep is where, you know, you store long-term memory from everything you learned today. It's how you regenerate your muscles that, you know, you've used up during practice or games. It's where you physically grow. Okay, so this is a big selling point for um, young adolescents. Like, if you want to grow to your maximum potential, you better get some sleep in there, my friend. Okay, I'm going to lay it out for you, but you have to do it. And really tap into that like performance and competitive spirit that they have towards right. grades or yeah. sports. Like, right. you know, yeah. can you go to bed earlier than, you yeah. know, for five days? Make it a competition or just if you want to perform yeah. at your best, yeah. like, you need to get What's most X. important to you? Right. And use that as the motivator. Mm-hmm. But they have to use that as right. the motivator. Remember when they were younger, we baited them with things that mattered to them. Now they have to figure out what matters to them. And then they have to use that. You're helping them build their internal motivation. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is a really long answer to (laughs) what can young adults do for themselves? Get enough sleep. Make sure that they know that this is normal. Let's normalize all these big emotions that they have. You're going to have really high days and really low days. And it's okay. It's just when the low days are, you know, long lasting and you can't get yourself out from those dark, long days, then we need to get you help. Mm-hmm. So my trifecta of health, sleep, movement, and nutrition, mm-hmm. right? So make sure that you're getting an hour of physical activity a day. And I don't use the word exercise because some people don't do exercise. They dance. They do yoga, whatever. Or they ride their bikes or they're, you know, skateboarding. Physical activity, that's what I call it. And you feel better, by the way. Your mood improves, Mm -hmm. right? And if you can do it outdoors, you're getting vitamin D. That really helps also. Nutrition. Okay, we all know that our brain and our guts are really connected. The vagus nerve, which is the 10th cranial nerve, goes from your brain, and it affects every organ system in between until it gets to your gut. So, and serotonin, which is a chemical that helps regulate our emotions, it's made in our gut, 95% of it. So it's very real when you're feeling nervous or anxious that your stomach is off yeah, because it's intricately mm-hmm. connected, okay? It's real. It's not just in your head, right? It is connected, your head and your body. So you feed good stuff to your body. You get good stuff out from above in your mood. You feed it crap all the time. I'm sorry. Um, you feed junk food, you know. Um, high sugar loads, lots of salt and fat. It's not the most nutritious. Your body metabolizes it quickly and then goes down to empty really quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's important to revisit the point you made earlier about how we've done this before as parents, you know, with right. our toddlers, because I can see how some of these interventions that we're talking about, you can really do with a toddler and start to build. Because, you know, oftentimes, and I feel like probably most parents do this too, like you sort of 
catastrophize later how like, yep. you know, oh, this is how they're going to be if I don't do X right now. And, you know, but you're forgetting that you're building these skills. Right. So that way they, when they get to those bigger emotions, they recognize how they sort of were taught to handle them as small children. And you're, even if their mind doesn't remember that as like a tool or a resource, their body remembers how to react and cope. And, yep. you know, you're building resilience from that exactly. small interaction. Help them build agency, mm-hmm. okay, for, at age-appropriate agency. Like, let them put on their own clothes when they were younger, even though it's going to take half an hour, but that's how they're going to learn how to do it. And it makes them feel really good that they've achieved it. Same thing with your adolescent or your young adult, right? They encounter a problem. And if they have to solve it, oh, my gosh, the pride that they have after they have solved it is incredible. Whereas if you were just like, do this X, A, B, and C, and then you'll get there, they might do it, but they're not going to have that. It's irreplaceable, that feeling that you have that, you know, you were able to have agency to control something in your life. Mm Mm-hmm. And I wanted to touch on this really quickly before we wrap up because we, um, you know, mentioned it a couple times in the beginning about um, suicide, especially with this group. And I feel like a very scary word for parents because, again, it's that loss of control. You don't know what's going on in your children's mind. And, you know, you can try to talk to them, but it's really their choice to open up. And, you know, maybe if they're not opening up, you can have these fears that maybe something larger is going on. So, you know, is there anything that you would recommend to parents or say to parents to sort of like help? guide them through navigating maybe like managing their own fearful thoughts or just, you know, if you're seeing this in your kids and you're recommending therapy, like, you know, I don't know, how can we sort of... So you have to bring it to the forefront. Hey, there's a lot, or, you know, whenever you hear the news about it, that's an opportunity to Mm -hmm. educate your child and to say, oh my gosh, you know, like express your feelings. Like, you know, those poor parents, they were so worried. They didn't know this was coming, you know. What do you think? What are mm-hmm. your thoughts? So first assess what they know, and then, you know, where would you go from it? Do you, What do you think of it? Is Are there, do you know of anybody who's thought of this? And chances are they do know somebody in, yeah. in their, you know, immediate peer group or further in their peer group that's, expressed, um, you know, the desire to hurt themselves or, you know, or die and feel hopeless, right? So what did you do? What did you think? Where are you seeking help? I mean, don't do it all at once. It's not a one-setting thing. Yeah. But as opportunities come up, if there's an unfortunate event in the news, talk about it. And definitely bring out your worries and concerns and say, hey, what are your thoughts on this, you know? Wait and see what they know and then fill in the blanks for them. I will give a plug. Go to your pediatrician if you think something's up with your young adult. Because if you've been with your pediatrician your whole entire life, chances are that this may be another adult resource for your young adult. It's someone they trust and someone who's not their parents. Mm -hmm. And they might fess up some stuff to their pediatrician, or else it might be a teacher or a coach, it's not going to be you necessarily, the parent, that they're going to pour all their miseries to. We'd like it to be, but that's not always. So, you know, surround them with adult figures 
that they can go to. So you want to build that from the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. When they were younger and then that group or even ministers or, you know, um, youth leaders, give them a variety, keep them close or aunts and uncles, okay, so that they have options, and know and always say, you can always go to this other person. You wouldn't hurt my feeling, okay? But know that we have lots of different options for you to reach out for help. And then I also want to put a, a plug for the 988. That is the suicide, um, the national suicide hotline. And I didn't know that you can also seek immediate counseling on the spot when you call 988. Hmm. So if, you know, there is a crisis... Um, and maybe you're also deciding, does your child need to be evaluated right now uh, as in the emergency room or some with a, a, you know, with an expert right in this moment versus can you wait until morning and maybe call up and approach your pediatrician or your family practice uh, physician? That's a good resource. Mm-hmm. Um, so 988, I cannot put it out there enough. That's a new resource. Not everyone's um, aware of it. But it covers the whole spectrum of age, and you can get some immediate help. Counselors right on the moment, mm-hmm. okay? So remember that there was 911 for the police. Now there's 988 for mental health emergencies. Yeah, it's a great resource. Yeah, so please remember that number, 988. And really, think broadly. Um, so what's, what are protective things? We didn't talk about that, right? So we know what young adults can do for themselves what parents can do for their young adults. But what are things that are protective of mental health? Connection, okay? So whether it's feeling connected with friends and peers, connection um, with teachers, coaches, parents, other older adults in their lives. So studies, uh, there was a study recently that showed young adults um, in high school who are well-connected in um, to others in their school environment much lower rates of mental health issues because it's the connection piece. You know, it's when you feel you're alone and you're the only person in this particular situation, that's when it starts getting to feel hopeless. Mm -hmm. But if you know that there are people that you can go to and they've got your back or that you can even just talk to and there's no judgment, Mm -hmm. they'll just be there for you. Oh, my gosh. It's, you know, so that's a protective mechanism, forming um, a village for your children and young adults beyond your immediate core family mm-hmm. is really, really important. Good to know. Yeah. So that was a heavy, it was. heavy topic, but very, very important and, and good for parents to know the resources and the things they can do to help and just know that, yeah, even from the very beginning, you can be working with your children to gain these sorts of resiliency skills is encouraging and, and not making these topics taboo, just putting oh, yeah. them all out in the open, having honest, open conversations about it, um, I think are all really important takeaways. Yes. So good conversation to wrap up Mental Health Awareness Month, which is May. And um, yeah, thanks for your time. Thank you. Oh, we'll as always, you, Christina. We'll see you at the next one. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Take care. <laughs>